December 26th, 2004, an underwater earthquake measuring 9.3 on the Richter scale took place underneath the Indian Ocean. It was the third largest earthquake ever recorded. It was so large, it changed the shape of the Earth and repositioned the North Pole. It also caused a massive tsunami that at points measured 100 feet tall. This wall of water inundated the coastlines of 14 nations, ultimately killing 228,000 people. One-third of those who perished were kids. One of the sad realities of the Indian Ocean tsunami was that it took place in a part of the world which has no tsunami warning system. The Pacific Ocean has such a system, but the countries in the Indian Ocean, surrounding the Indian Ocean, they're too poor and disorganized to have such a system. Uh, many of those who died had no warning. Now, since 2004, the world has actually helped these nations build such a system. It uses GPS, uh, ocean buoys, and cell phone networks to get the word out. Uh, the governments of these nations realized that the lives of their citizens were worth the expense and the hard work of cooperating together and putting together a warning system. They also remembered a simple truth that we who are Christians also must understand. What's the truth? It's that people must be warned of the coming destruction. And if they aren't warned of the coming destruction, they will die. I thought of the 2004 tsunami as I was uh, studying our passage for the morning. We are in, if you're just joining us, a an ongoing study of Paul's letter to the Romans here at Rooftop in a series that we are currently calling Anguish and Hope. Uh, if you don't know, Romans is a very big, important book in the New Testament. The New Testament is that portion of the Bible written after the life of Jesus. Romans is a big, important letter in that portion of the book. It was written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a first-century Christian missionary, an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. He traveled around the Mediterranean, uh, starting churches, preaching the gospel. He really wanted to visit the Christian church in the ancient city of Rome, so he wrote them a nice long letter in which he introduces himself and, and makes public his plans to visit and also summarizes for them the message of Christianity. Now, right now, we are in Romans 9 through 11. And in these chapters, Paul is writing about the very difficult situation presented by his people, the Israelites. Uh, Israel, the chosen people of God, they have largely and sadly and ironically rejected the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the Jews' rejection of Jesus causes Paul great anguish, as it would any of us with loved ones who reject God. But Paul also has hope that God is not yet done with Israel and that he might find a way for them to be saved. That's why we're calling this, this series, the study, Anguish and Hope. So with that introduction, let me go ahead and read to you our passage for the morning, after which I will do my level best to explain it and 
apply it. So it's Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, as usual, this is actually a tricky passage, but it's an important one also as usual, with a lot to teach us. So let's uh, break it down, but first let's set it up. Let's put it in context uh, of Romans overall. In these chapters of Romans, Paul has been explaining that salvation comes to those who believe, to those who have faith. In order to be saved, in order to live forever with God, all you got to do is trust Jesus. That's all you got to do. You don't got to obey a bunch of religious rules. You don't have to live the perfectly obedient religious life. You just have to believe. This is what Paul calls the righteousness of faith. You have faith and you are given Jesus' righteousness as your own. Righteousness of faith. Many of Paul's countrymen, though, the nation of Israel, rejected the righteousness of faith. They practiced what Paul calls the righteousness, righteousness of the law. They thought that by obeying the Old Testament law, someone could get into heaven. Paul says, no, yet, nine, uh-uh, that's not how this works. You don't get into heaven by trying your hardest to obey the law. The law is too hard, we are too weak. That's not how someone gets into heaven. As Paul wrote in last week's passage, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the righteousness of faith, to call on the name of the Lord. Not to obey the law, but to call on the name of the Lord Jesus, who can alone save us. And this is what Pastor Jeremy talked about last week. And anybody can call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Anybody can do it. Jew, Gentile, Republican, Democrat, city, county, black, white. Anybody can call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, here in this passage that I just read to you, Paul then takes an interesting turn. He says that in a certain sense, it's actually not that simple. It's not that simple that if people call on the name of the Lord Jesus, they will be saved. Why is it not that simple? Well, in order for someone to call on the name of Jesus, they must believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And in order for someone to believe in the name of Jesus, they must hear the name of the Lord Jesus. And in order for them to hear the name of the Lord Jesus, someone must preach to them the name of the Lord Jesus. And if someone, in order for someone to preach to them the name of the Lord Jesus, that person must be sent by Jesus. That's just what Paul means when he says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? Those are all what's called rhetorical questions. You know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question with an obvious answer. And the obvious answer here is, how can someone call on the name of the Lord Jesus unless someone preaches to them the name of the Lord Jesus? What's the obvious answer there? They can't. They can't call on the name of the Lord Jesus. They can't believe unless someone is sent and preaches to them. In order for people to call on Jesus, they have to believe, they have to hear, someone has to preach, someone has to be sent. And if any of those steps are missed, the gospel doesn't go out, people don't get saved. We might call this the salvation chain. Every link in the chain must take place in order for someone to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's message here is that getting people to believe in the righteousness of faith is actually a somewhat involved process. This has to happen, then this has to happen, then this has to happen, and then this has to happen. It's like setting up a tsunami warning system. In order for people to hear the message of an incoming tsunami, lots of things have to happen. The sirens go out, sure, but the signal comes from the satellites, and then the signal from the satellites comes from the buoys that were sent out to measure the, the height of the waves, and someone has to put the waves there. This is the tsunami warning system. Every link in the chain needs to work. Paul is saying salvation happens the same way. There's a lot of steps that lead people to call on the name of Jesus. We actually see this when we baptize people over here in this baptistry. Every now and then we get to witness the act of baptism. You guys get to see that, but there's a lot of steps that happen leading up to that moment. First, the word goes out, right? Our communications director gets the word of Jesus out and the word of rooftop out. You guys take the word of Jesus out to your friends and to your family. Then somebody shows up. Hopefully we give them a nice, hospitable, gospel-centered experience here on Sunday morning, and then they meet with a connections pastor to get them kind of connected to the church, and then they sign up to a small group, and then they start asking questions, and maybe they meet with a pastor, and they talk about baptism, and they work on their testimony, and they come here on Sunday morning, and they deliver their testimony. Then we baptize them. Then they get baptized, and they get saved from a tsunami of judgment and sin. There's a lot of steps in the chain, and if any one of those steps gets skipped, they don't get saved. That's the salvation chain. Now, what's Paul's point here? Why is he describing for us the salvation chain? Paul's point isn't necessarily to put pressure on us to spread the word about Jesus by paying careful attention to every link in the chain. Although it's certainly true that the obligation, the responsibility is on us to get the word out there. But that's not really Paul's point. His point is rather that these are all steps God has taken with respect to Israel. You see, God chose the nation of Israel to be his people. They were his children. But for the most part, as we've talked about in Romans, 
Israel rejected the message of the gospel. They rejected the Messiah, Jesus, who came and died for their sins. And Paul, our Paul, is still trying to figure that out. He's still trying to figure out how exactly God's people could reject God's Messiah. This is what troubles him so much and what causes him such anguish. He's upset that Israel has not called on the name of the Lord, as he says, but not all the Israelites received the good news. And Paul's still wondering why. What went wrong in the salvation chain? So what does Paul do? Well, like an engineer, he goes back through all the steps to figure out what got missed. He's like an engineer working his way through the tsunami system. Okay, the signal didn't get sent. What went wrong? Did the sirens not work? Did the satellites not work? Did the buoys not work? He's like a connections pastor. Our new connections pastor, Jacob Prollo. If somebody doesn't, like, get baptized, well, we'd have to look. What's not working here? Uh, is the word not getting out? Are the greeters not doing their job? Are we welcoming people meanly at the door? Welcome to the rooftop. Do the services stink? Uh, do the sermons not make sense? Is the water too hot? or cold what's not working in the chain or it's like a, a cook you know who 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 made a cake and it didn't really turn out and he or she you know don't want to discriminate anybody can cook he or she has to figure out well what didn't happen did the eggs not get added did the vanilla get, not get added the sugar not get added uh, what went wrong where this is what paul's doing maybe paul wonders israel didn't hear as paul asks, did they not hear but he knows they did. Of course they did, he says. And he quotes the book of Psalms. God's voice has gone out into all the earth, his words to the ends of the world. Basically, the word of the Lord has gone out to Israel. They heard the message of Jesus. So then Paul tests another link in the chain. Well, maybe they heard, but maybe they didn't understand. Did Israel not understand? But Paul knows they did. He's an Israelite himself. He understood the message of Christ. And he quotes Moses in Deuteronomy, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. Now there's a lot to explain there. It's a very difficult verse. But, but basically, basically, the problem is not understanding. Moses says that other nations were saved by God even though they didn't understand. Israel did understand and they rejected the message of Christ. So Israel heard the message of Jesus. They understood the message of Jesus. In the salvation warning chain, both those steps were done correctly. All the steps were, in fact. God didn't miss any. So Paul wonders what went wrong. Where's the breakdown? Well, nothing went wrong. Nothing went wrong with the warning system. What went wrong was Israel. Israel went wrong. That's what Paul says. Concerning Israel, Isaiah says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. The problem, as Isaiah says and Paul quotes, wasn't God's warning system. The problem was Israel. Many in Israel were disobedient and obstinate. Do you know what the word obstinate means? Anybody know what the word obstinate means? What does it mean? Stubborn. People who refuse to listen to reason. 
People who insist on doing things their own way, no matter what you tell them. People who are so committed to their way of seeing the world that nothing, nothing you tell them can make them change the way they look at the world. And the harder you pull, what do they do? The deeper they dig in. This is obstinacy. Uh, Israel was stubborn. They liked the righteousness of the law. Speaking of uh, natural disasters... Stubbornness is oftentimes a problem here in terms of getting people out in time. I read an article about the firefighters that are battling wildfires in California, like right now. According to officials uh, out in California, they're, and out in the West in general, their warning systems are actually pretty good. They've been doing this a long time. They know how fast fires are going to move, where they're probably going to go next. They, they have systems about how to warn residents, and residents themselves know how to be warned. But even with all the warnings, some residents just stay. Why? Because they're stubborn. They, they don't want to leave their houses. They think, you know, it's not going to be that bad. Uh, one stubborn resident that I read, he, he said he didn't want to leave because he had too many emotional attachments to his house. Really? <laughs> More emotional attachments to your house than, like, you know, to your life? It's actually a problem because by staying, they jeopardize the lives of rescue workers who have to fly in later, risking their own lives to s- save stubborn people. This is one of the reasons why officials in Hawaii actually give people no choice. With the volcano spewing lava in Hawaii and opening fissures in neighborhoods, the government told residents it's actually illegal to ignore official evacuation notices because of the danger that it poses to rescue workers. Even with all the warnings and the lava creeping into their kitchen, some people are just stubborn. That's Paul's point. The problem with people who reject the gospel isn't the gospel. It's not God's step-by-step efforts to get the gospel to them. They've heard about Jesus. They understand Jesus. They're just obstinate. They're sticking to the righteousness of the law. That's why they didn't call on the name of the Lord Jesus. They were okay with lava creeping into their driveway. Well, that's all right. It's not moving very fast. I'll just put up a two-by-four, send it towards my neighbor's house. (laughs) Now, that's what Paul's saying. That's what's happening in this passage. But let's ask the next question, so what for us? Let's talk application. What does it mean for us that Israel rejected the gospel by their stubbornness? Well, I can actually think of two important lessons we have to learn from this passage. We have something to learn from God the rescue worker, and we have something to learn from Israel the stubborn resident. Let's talk first of all about what we have to learn from God the rescue worker. As I mentioned, Israel's rejection of the Messiah wasn't because the salvation warning system didn't work. All the steps were made correctly. Prophets got sent. The message of salvation got preached. Israel heard. Israel understood. The reason many in Israel died in their sins was because they were just obstinate. What I find interesting here, though, is that God still gave them every chance. 
He didn't give up on them. He kept sending preachers and prophets to warn them of the coming wrath. Even as Israel rejected the warning, God sent them more prophets and more preachers to warn them of what was coming. There is a big, fat lesson here for us. The lesson is that we must share the message of Jesus with others even if they reject it in their stubbornness. We must share the message of Jesus with others even if in their stubbornness they reject it. People are going to make up their own minds about Jesus, but we don't know what they're going to decide. We just have to keep issuing the warning. Heck, God, God actually did know how Israel was going to respond. He knew that they weren't going to respond, but even he kept at it, in effect, wasting his breath. But he kept at it. As Paul quotes Isaiah, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. All day long God keeps warning stubborn people about the danger of their sin, the reality of hell, and the hope that can be found in Jesus. Even with people holed up in their houses, which were like burning down around them, ignoring warnings, God is right there with open hands sounding the alarm. We can't control how people will respond to the good news of the gospel. A lot of them will reject it, but not all of them will. And in order for them to receive the gospel, we got to preach the gospel. We're a link in that chain. You and I, who are followers of Christ, we're a link in the salvation chain. Every one of us in this room are a link in that chain. It's not just like me and Roland and Carolyn. We're all links in that chain. God has called us to share God's love with our friends, our neighbors, and our families. We're the salvation warning system. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we need to ram their door down with the gospel or forcibly remove them from their lives of sin or shout the gospel in their face with a megaphone. There are limits to this metaphor. It just means sticking with them. It means being good friends and neighbors over the long haul. It means inviting them to church, praying for them with perseverance and showing them God's love and patient, thoughtful, and creative ways. God didn't give up on Israel even though he knew how they would respond. Why would we give up on our friends and family given that we don't know how they're going to respond? As God tells the prophets in the Old Testament, our responsibility to God in preaching the gospel isn't to save souls. Our responsibility to God in preaching the gospel isn't to save souls. Our responsibility to God in preaching the gospel is to be faithful with the message. People are going to respond how they're going to respond. We just have to give them the chance. It's like um, one of my favorite parables in the gospels. Uh, It's the parable of the sower. It's a story that Jesus tells about a sower, a farmer. Maybe you know the story. Farmer goes out, sows his seed, throws the seed around. Some seed uh, falls on the path. Can't really grow down there. Some seed falls among the rocks. Can't grow there either. Some seed falls among the weeds and the thorns. Grows a little bit, then weeds and thorns choke it, kill it. Some seed falls on the good soil and grows up. Turns into a harvest. 
Now, it's a great story. There's actually lots of points in the story, but one of the points of the story is that God, who is the farmer, that's a parallel, God is the farmer, is not overly strategic about where the seed goes. He just throws it everywhere, hoping it takes. It's not up to us to figure out who's going to respond to the message. We just got to throw the seed everywhere. You don't know what kind of soil your friends and your family and your coworkers are. They might look like rocky soil, but so did I, so did you, so did Paul. We came around. Don't give up on your loved ones. We baptize people here at Rooftop all the time. When they first walked into the door, I would have thought we would never baptize that person. But we did. Because you never know what kind of soil somebody is inside their heart. It's their job to heed the warning. It's our job to sound it. That's our first lesson. We should tell people about Jesus, even if they, in their stubbornness, reject him. And that's what we learn from God, the rescue worker. But we also have something to learn from Israel, the stubborn resident. To cut to the chase, it's not just Israel who is stubborn. All of us, at times, ignore the warning of the gospel due to our own stubbornness. It's not just our family and our friends who are refusing to get out of the way of tsunamis. It's us. How do I mean? You know what I mean. Almost all of us know what God would have us do with our lives. We all know what God's expectations of us are. We need to repent of our sin. We need to get baptized. We need to join a church family. We need to forgive our parents. We need to start tithing. We need to spend more time with our children. We need to go on a mission trip. We need to not work as hard. We need to maybe work harder. We need to not eat as much. We all know what we need to do. We've all heard. We all understand. It's not the warning system that's broken. So why do we keep living the lives we live? Because we're stubborn. We're emotionally attached to our houses or to our lives, as though our lives and our houses are all that special. Or we're proud. We're not going to let some preacher with a backwards hat, we're not going to let some rescue worker, we're certainly not going to let God, God, Tell us how to live our lives. We're fine, thank you very much. But we're not talking about a minor threat here. The reality of our situation is that we'll die if we don't find higher ground. We will burn if we don't leave now. We will drown if we don't get in the rescue boat immediately. Jesus did not come preaching a false alarm. The ministry of Christ was not a fire drill. God's judgment on sin is coming. The wave is just a few miles away, and it's heading here fast. You might not see it, you might not detect it, but it's on its way. In fact, speaking of tsunamis, I've heard that uh, part of the problem with detecting tsunamis is actually that when the tsunami is like out at sea, uh, all the energy of the wave is like dissipated throughout the entire ocean, and it, and it really, when the tsunami wave passes, it barely causes a ripple. It's like, boom. 
But as that wave like approaches land and all that water is compressed up by the ocean floor, that's when it turns into a massive destructive wall of water. I think that's one of the reasons many of us can't see or feel or sense God's coming judgment. It's still too far out to see for us to notice. But that doesn't mean it's not coming. And that doesn't mean it's not going to destroy us. And yet, here we sit on the beach with our pina coladas, enjoying the view. Look, honey, what's that beautiful wave in the distance? Here we sit, ignoring the warnings brought to us by Christ in Scripture, as Paul has already warned us in Romans, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed, when the wave will crash. The longer we wait, the more fury we will face. We have to get out now. We have to repent of our sin now. We have to forgive our enemies now. We have to love and serve the poor today. We have to get baptized today. There is no reason, except for our stubbornness, not to do these things today. There is no reason, aside from our obstinacy, not to grab the rope of faith that God is throwing us in Jesus Christ and not to grab it today. That rope is still there for you. You're alive, which means it's not too late. You still have time to flee to higher ground, and that's what I want to leave you with this morning. How does God handle stubborn people like you and I? He handles stubborn people like you and I the same way he handled stubborn people like Israel, with grace, love, and open-handed patience. As Isaiah has said, all day long I have held my hands out to a disobedient and obstinate people. All day long Jesus holds out his hands to us. All day long he throws the rope to us. All day long he sounds the alarm for us. He knows we're stubborn. He knows we might rather burn or drown than give our lives to him. But as long as we're alive, as long as the day is still the day, he'll give us every chance. But days don't last forever. So I know you're stubborn in your sin, so am I in mine, but Jesus still came to rescue us. He came to save us from sin and death and hell before it's too late. I know you're stubborn, but how about instead you get yourself saved? Grab the rope. Flee to higher ground. And do it now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this warning that your judgment is coming. But there's nothing wrong with this salvation warning system. We know what we need to do. We need to repent and be baptized and confess. For those of us who are trapped, though, in our leisurely stubbornness, as we lounge on the beach. Break us of that. Give us the will to flee to higher ground, the higher ground that we can find in Jesus Christ. 
the higher ground that allows us to escape your coming judgment and wrath. I pray for anybody here this morning stuck in their stubbornness that they might get saved instead. And I pray for all of us here in the role we play in the salvation chain as well. There are people in our lives, in our community, in our neighborhoods. Uh, They too need to call on the name of the Lord Jesus, but they can't call unless they hear. And they can't hear unless someone preaches. And they can't hear from someone who preaches unless that person is sent. And you have sent us. You've sent us to Reynosa, you've sent us to Afton, you've sent us to St. Louis, you've sent us to Southern Europe, you've sent us around the world. Help us be faithful with our role in the chain. Thank you for meeting us here this morning, for receiving our worship. We hope that it is pleasing to you. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit.